Good to see you today. Hope everything's going well. We have a guest with us today, David Vestal, who is uh, part of the Gateway uh, <laughs> Network. I won't say Gateway Connect, but Gateway Network. And uh, we, are, we are a part of the Gateway Network. We're related to them. And so uh, he's going to come and minister today, and we'll give him plenty of time. So would you give him a Life Community Church welcome? Would you stand and say, yay, we're glad you're here today. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. You guys have no idea who I am. Sit down, please. <laughs> what a blessing it is to get a chance to be here with you guys, though. I am quickly falling in love with your pastor and, and his family. Uh, one of the things that I do at the Gateway Network is we serve churches all over the United States. But in that service, we want to be an authentic relationship with the pastors. So my relationship with your pastor, sometimes I'm just texting him or emailing him or calling him on a monthly basis to stay in relationship saying, you know, Pastor Randy, it's going to be okay. Put the gun down. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be all right. But I want to tell you guys, first of all, thank you for not giving up on church, the congregation of the church in the middle of COVID. I really appreciate that. And that doesn't mean that those of you that are online are not, uh, but I just appreciate you being here. I appreciate you supporting your pastor uh, as well. What I get a chance to tell you this morning, I don't have, a, have an opportunity to say very often um, because I meet with a lot of pastors, senior leaders. You all here at this church, you have a very healthy pastor. Amen? Would you all just tell him thank you for what he does here? Just put your hands together. And... So I, I, don't, I don't get a chance to say that as, as much as I wish that I could. So now I have a challenge for you. What are you going to do to keep him healthy? Right? So would you commit right now to me and before God that you would lift them up in prayer when God puts them on your heart, that you would speak only words that edify, only words that encourage when God puts them on your heart and you would support them, if you agree with that, will you signify by saying amen? amen. Okay, God, you heard them. <laughs> but I do get a chance to travel a lot. I'm, I'm somewhere just about every weekend in a different service. So I, I fly a lot. Pastor Randy and I were talking about that. I, I, I'm on airplanes an awful lot. Have any of you guys ever been on one of those small airplanes with just a little prop job? Okay, that's scary. I don't care how much you fly. And I was getting on a plane, because you get on those things when you're just going real short distances. And so I'm going a short distance, and we're getting on this plane. It has like the ladder that, that steps down, and it's got a guy at the front of the ladder with a clipboard, and he's asking people questions when they get on the plane. And so I said, well, this is interesting. And by the time I get up close to where he is, I can hear him talking to a lady in front of me, and he says, ma'am, how much do you weigh? Now, see, the, guys, you don't understand that that's not something you ask a lady, right? And she says, well, why do you want to, this is true, why do you want to know? He said, well, we need to know how much fuel to put in the plane. And she said, well, fill it up. I don't care. Just put as much gas into it as you can. <laughs> and he says, no, that's not the way it works. We need to know how much weight is on the plane so we know how much fuel we can put in the plane. So she says, well, I weigh 150 pounds. I'm not trying to be tacky, but I'm behind her. I know she ain't weighing no 150 pounds. And so it's like, what, what in the world? So he, he writes it down, and she gets on the plane, and I go up there, and he says, sir, how much do you weigh? I got to tell him I weigh 350 to make up for her lie 
on the back end because I'm going to die because some woman didn't want somebody to know how much she weighed. So that, that's my life. So today I got to drive. So praise the Lord for that. Oh, man. Hey, the queen of my tribe, the, the love of my life, a woman that I've been dating now 38 years is here. My wife, Dana, would you just stand and let them see your beautiful face? She's given me three amazing kids, and one of those kids just gave us our first grandson, and he'll be, he'll be a year old in March. I'm, I'm in that tribe now. If I had known they were going to be this much fun, I would have had them first. Grandparents, can you say amen? Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, I'm not going to take it much longer. I've got a great word for you I think God has given me. Let's just go to the Lord and ask him just to bless our time for a minute. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that you brought here this morning. I thank you for those that are online that are taking the time to listen to your word. So, Father, in spite of me, in spite of my sin and my shortcomings, I ask that you would just use me this morning to be your mouthpiece. Anything that I say that's of you, would you anoint it, allow it to fall upon teachable hearts? The things that may not be of you, would you allow it to fall to the wayside? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about Psalm 23 this morning. Most of you in this room, I'm assuming, are probably Christians. If not, if you're not a Christian, if you've never taken that time to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, today's going to be your day. But... Most of us have probably heard Psalm 23 at a funeral or some, some aspect of, a, of an, an analogy in some way, shape, form, or fashion about the going on to the future, okay? I want to share with you what David wrote and why he wrote Psalm 23. David was a songwriter, right? So the Psalms are songs that were written. When you write a song, you try to paint a beautiful picture with just very few words. Do you agree with me? Yeah. Okay. Hey, how many of you are here this morning? Raise your hand. Okay, most of you are here this morning. Good. Talk back to me so I know you're here this morning. When you write a song, you're trying to give a description. So what Psalm 23 really is, it's a description of the life of David. It's a description of his ministry from the beginning to the end. So it's a process. He's taking us on his personal journey in his life with Christ. And we're all on a journey with Jesus. We're all moving forward. We're all pressing on. We're all getting conformed to his image day in and day out. And the Apostle Paul, at the end of his ministry, he says, I've yet to attain, so I press on. If the Apostle Paul never arrived to say, I am the apostle, I am the disciple, I don't think you and I in a bag of potato chips has a chance of just arriving. So we press on. God's always pulling us to the next place in our journey with him. So this is what David is talking about. And he starts off with using language that he would use as a shepherd. When he was a young boy, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, if you could ever get that revelation right there, that would change your life. That he is my shepherd. A shepherd is the one that leads the flock into the place that they need to be so that they can, they can feed, so that they can be protected, 
so that they can be cared for, so that they can be counted. So if the Lord is my shepherd and he's going to lead me, he's going to protect me, he's going to provide for me, he's going to give me a name and a family to be with, in that aspect, I should never want for anything if I trust in him as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods. I'm already preaching better than your amen, and I'm just getting warmed up now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's what he starts off saying. But there are times when he makes me to lie down. You ever been there? And when God says, that ain't your time. It's time for you just to sit down. It's time for you just to lay down. And I cannot stand that. I have too many things to do. I'm busy. I got people to see. I got things to see. I got people to meet. I, I got to do so much. And God says, nope. You're going to learn how to be still <laughs> and know that I am God. Oh, how, how, I mean, if I ask for a show of hands of how many you like that, I'm sure nobody would raise their hands because none of us like to be made to be still. But he makes me to lie down. But it's only that when I finally acquiesce into that and I give in and I lie down that I discover it's green pastures. Well, wait a minute. This isn't as bad as I thought. You ever laid down in in the springtime with a cool breeze and in a nice grassy meadow of clover leaf? There's just something about it that you go, oh, this feels really good. I did not realize how bad I needed this. It's only when you decide to do what he asks you to do that you discover that it's green pastures. You discover that it begins to be good for you. And when you get there and you've decided, okay, I'm just going to hang out here for a while, he says, no, you're not. Get up. And then he leads me beside still waters. He's taking me down this path, and, and there's, there's a, like a, a, a beautiful pond here of still waters to do one thing to restore me. He says, okay, now that you've been in the field and you've started slowing down, there's some things I need to do in you, uh, some things I need to restore in you, some things that I need to get back for you that the enemy has taken in your life. There's some things that have happened in your past, some things that somebody did to you, some offenses that took place, something that your parents did, something that a sibling did, something that an aunt or an uncle did to you that I need to put you in this place so that I can restore what the enemy has taken away. And that is for many of you in this room. It's for many of you online watching. It's time to get God to restore what the enemy has stolen from you. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy but God comes to give life. And it's not like he just restores you back to where you were. He restores you back as if nothing ever happened before. He leads me beside these still waters to restore my soul. But you got to get in the water. And so it's, I don't, I don't have time to take a bath, God. I don't really want to do that right now. And he just pushes you in. And so all of this process that we're going through here, it's like we really don't want to do it, but we know that when we do, God begins to show up, and it's pretty, pretty neat. And so finally you give in. He pushes you in the water, and it's like that Nestle plunge. I know I'm dating myself with a commercial of the 1940s, but it's like Nestle plunge. You hit it, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize how much I needed this. And so you're in the still waters. Be still and know that I am God. 
Because, God, you have come to give me life and to give me life more abundantly. In the world, there's going to be trials and tribulations, but I will be of good cheer because you've overcome all of this. And as long as I stay in your restoring waters, as long as I walk in your footprints, I'm going to be okay. And that's the place I like to stay. And so I'm staying there, and I'm thinking, this is a really cool place to live. And he goes, I, I wish you could, but come on, we got to go. And he leads you out of the still waters. And you're like, but I, I really liked it there. I didn't want to leave. He goes, no, we, we got somewhere else to go. And then he leads me down this path. The Scripture says this is a path of righteousness for whose, whose namesake? For his namesake. Now, church, this is a changing moment in David's life. This is a changing moment in our life when we make a decision to follow God down a path that is not about you. Don't leave. This is God. He begins to lead you down a path of righteousness. It is the right path to go down, but it's all about his name's sake. It's not all about David's sake. It's about who he is and what he's doing and where he's going. It's not about my wants, my desires, and my needs. It's all about him. And when you make that decision to start walking down that path for his sake, and you make the decision to say, my life at this moment on will be lived for the glory of God and God alone, things, things are different. You see, there, there's this maturation process that we go through as Christians. You take that, that moment, that first step, when you say, God, I see my need for you. I'm asking you, would you come into my life and be Lord of my life? And if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, that's all you have to do is believe that he has done what we say he has done and what he says he has done and accept him into your life. And you become saved. You become a follower of Christ. You, your life is radically changed. But then there's another moment where we get to that spot where we go, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to really just do that. God, I want, I want everything in my life to be about you. In fact, I want you to be in the center of my family. I want you to be in the center of my job. I want you to be the center of my finances. I want you to be in the center of everything I do. Amen? Now, that's a really good place to be. Then there's another moment when you say, you know what, God? Forget all that. Just put me in the center of your life. My life is to be lived for your glory, wherever you take me. And that's what it means to decide, I'm going to start walking down this path of righteousness. And see, I didn't get that many amens when I just said that. Because <laughs> it's scary. You're like, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to give God all of that. As long as he's blessing what I do, I like it. But I'm not sure that I want to live my life, just abandon my life and go into him. But that's what David is saying. There comes a moment when I decide that I'm going to walk down a path of righteousness and this path is no longer going to be about me. And David starts walking that path. And when you start walking that path, it's very unusual. It, 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 you get a little nervous because you don't see things about you. You don't see your trophies. You don't see your accolades. You're not looking for the spots that you can fit in any longer. The path is a little awkward. But though I walk down this path, down this valley, you know, I, I will fear no evil. He says, though I walk down this, the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Now, by the way, you can't have a shadow without sunlight. Okay? 
So he's saying, this place I'm going, it's a little odd, but he has a shadow because sunlight is coming, and what's dying is him. See, what dies in that process is us. The Apostle Paul says, I have lived, it's no longer, or I have died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live for his glory. When I decide to start walking down that path of righteousness for his name's sake, he begins to live and I begin to die. But David says, I'm walking down this path through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not going to fear any evil for, what's the next word? For your now, now get this, please, if you've been asleep, wake up for this right here. Please. He restores my soul. He leads me down a path of righteousness. He makes me to lie down. He, he, he. David's talking about him, and all of a sudden, everything changes to where he is talking to him. For your rod and your staff comfort me. You didn't get it, Pastor Randy. They didn't get it. I could tell. There's, there's got to be a time in our life when we make the transition that we want to talk to God more than we want to talk about him. And you see the transition here that David says, now my life is to be lived for you. My focus is not about you. My focus is you. <laughs> oh, God. Let me be there, Lord. Let me be found talking to you more than I talk about you. I don't know what's going on down this path, but I'm not going to worry because I can see your rod, that rod that counts me, that I'm one of yours. I see the staff that you have in your hand that if something were to happen and I would to fall away or an enemy could, would get me, you could reach down and pull me back in. I'm not going to be afraid. I don't understand it, but my life from this moment is going to be to live, to be lived all for your glory. And here's what happens when you get there. When you decide that my life is going to be lived for you, God, he stops the journey and says, let's have dinner. And he prepares a table for who? For me in the presence of all of my idiots. Come on now, when you discover that your life is going to be lived all for his glory and everything that he is about, that's the moment that you discover his life is all about you. Let that sink in. And he prepares this table for us. And on this table, man, it is amazing. It's everything that I would ever want or I would ever need at this dinner table. And all the people that don't like me, all the people that think I'm, I'm whatever I am in the background, they pointed at you, they've said bad things about you, they're watching the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the God of Gods prepare a dinner table in your honor. And you look up at that table and it's like, wow, that is a whole lot of queso. There's some really good guacamole sitting right there. Oh, my goodness, look at this chili over here. A big, huge bowl of bluebell ice cream. It's just like everything I would ever want is at this table. It's all about me. And then I look a little closer, and I see this big bowl of love. Another huge bowl of forgiveness. Another bowl of mercy. Oh, a huge tub of grace. All for me. And as the table is being set, the king gets up from the head of the table and he walks over and he takes your chair and he pulls it out and he says, would you come? Would you sit? 
See, you have to come and sit. And that's the moment you have to decide. I know I'm not worthy to be there. I, I know I shouldn't be there. And everything in my flesh, everything in my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions are coming up with reasons why I don't deserve to sit at that table. You know, faith, we live this Christian life, we talk about it's by faith. Amen? Okay? So faith is the belief that something's about to happen. Would you agree? I'm going to have faith that this is going to happen. Are we, are we in agreement? Fear is the belief that something's about to happen. Are you with me? The only difference is the object of your belief. And see, I, I, I'm confessing myself here. I automatically default to fear. I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid that's not going to happen. I'm afraid this is going to take place. I'm waiting for the other foot to drop. And I asked God one time, why is it that I just I have to catch myself because I default here? And the Lord really, really spoke to me. He said, because you don't think you're worth me showing up for. So in your mind's eye, you say, well, God has a right to not show up for me. I mean, I know what I've done. I know what I think about. I, I know my sins more than anyone else in the world except for God. And so when he doesn't show up for me, I can give you all the reasons why he doesn't show up for me because I know what it is. So I fully expect God not to show up for me because of how bad of a person I am, though I really look good on the outside. And that includes most of us in this room. And so God says, so what you're telling me, David, is that what I did on the cross with my son wasn't enough for you. It was enough for Randy, and it was enough for Tina, and it was enough for others, but it just wasn't enough for you. So we need to come up with a little bit more sacrifice for you. Hello? And then you stop and go, no, Lord, I would never do that. You've done enough for me. He's done enough to allow us the opportunity to give us not the privilege, just the privilege to come to the table, but we have the right to come to the table because of what he has done for us. You see, at the appointed time, if you don't know the story, at the appointed time, God the Father gave the nod to God the Son in heaven. Jesus Christ got up off of his heavenly throne. He took off his kingly robe. He entered this world through the birth canal of a virgin into the calloused hands of a carpenter as a babe. He humbled himself to this position where he stayed to be about his father's business in the shadows of that carpenter's shed for 30 years until the time came for him to step out of the shadows into the sunlight to be the sunlight and to live this life for the glory of God and for you and me to be the sacrificial lamb that he took everything I've ever done, everything I will do, everything you've ever done, everything you will do sin-wise, and he carried it upon the cross. And he said, let me show you how much I love you. And they took his hands and they pulled him as far apart as they could get him. And he crucified him on the cross for your sins so that you have the right to come to the table. But he didn't stay there.
He didn't stay there. They took him off of that cross. They placed him in a tomb. And on the third day, the stone rolled away and he came bursting out of the the tomb so that not only are we forgiven of our sin, but now we are overcomers of sin, of death, of depression, of despair, of discouragement, of hurts, of wounds, offenses, of anything this world would have to throw at you. He overcame them. And now as we live our life for his glory, we are overcomers. But that's not the end of the story. He ascended to the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. He sent himself in the form of his spirit, and he is encouraging you. He's cheering you on going, come to the table. Make that decision. Make that next step. I'm for you. You can do it. I have things that you have no clue about. If you'll just come to the table. So it's, it's like you start towards that table, and you, you want to sit there. We had a situation in our house years ago. Our kids were younger, and we had a, a, a dog, a stray dog, come into our front yard. And this was the ugliest, mangiest, rattiest, nastiest dog you could imagine. And what did my, my kids say to me? Daddy, can we keep him? Yeah, you know. And so I go out there and look at it. It's been raining, and he looks even worse in the rain. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please, no. I said, I tell you what, if y'all can, if y'all can get him in the house, we'll feed him, you know, and, and try to find out who, who their owner is. I know he doesn't have an owner. A dog that ugly, somebody just dropped off somewhere. But the kids don't know that. So they start throwing bread out into the yard, and he comes out, like, from behind the, the car and grabs the bread and runs back to his safe haven. And they keep dropping it, you know where I'm going, closer to the door, till finally they have it right there on the doorstep that he'd have to come in to get the bread, and then they could close the door behind him. And watching this dog was so interesting to me, because he would walk right up to the threshold of the door, and he would try his best to look in, but his perspective was jaded a little bit. And then he would step back, because he knew what was out here. He knew that when, when, when bad things come, he could run behind that car. He could get into those bushes when the weather was bad. He knew all the places he could go out here. He didn't know what was in there. But he really liked what he could see, but he, he would have to cross the threshold to get in. He didn't realize that once he got in there, he's probably going to be sleeping with one of my kids. He's going to have a bath. He's going to have a life like he had never dreamed he would have. And so he just kept going back and forth, and I'm just watching him. Pretty soon, he just pulls back, and he can't can't make it, and he doesn't come in. I wonder how many of us are like that. We We don't come in to the house of God where he has for us, what he has for us. We're familiar with what's out here, but we don't have the faith to take that next step. David takes the step. He sits down at the table. He looks at the table and he says, well, I sure need some love. And he takes a big scoop of love. I could use some forgiveness. Oh, mercy. God, your grace, your acceptance. And he just starts filling his plate up with all of these things. And as he's eating a little bit, he looks up and he sees the bowls as if nothing came out of them. So he says, huh. So he just starts getting more 
He gets more scoops from here, more scoops from there, and, more, and every time he scoops, he realizes, wait a minute, it's as if I'm not taking anything out because God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's acceptance, God himself, there's an endless supply of who he is. It's not what he has, it's who he is. He is love, he is grace, he is mercy, he is acceptance, and he never runs out of who he is. Come on now. You ever been to a real fancy restaurant, guys? You took your, you took your girl to a, a really nice restaurant because you wanted to impress her? You know, it's like you go into a, a, I don't know, Dana and I, when we were first dating, we didn't have very much money at all. And it's like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to really impress her. So let's go to Ruth Chris or something like that. I don't know what high dollar steakhouse you would be. But you go in there wanting to impress her. And then they give you the menu. And you're like, oh, Lord, please. You're like, honey, do you like this? And she says, yeah, that's great. I said, good, because we're going to have water and salad. That's all we can afford. You know, and the waiter comes over and you go, man, how much is your salad? Oh, my goodness, how much is it without salad dressing? Because you, you can't afford it. And so you order your salads and your waters, and, and you're a little embarrassed. But then the waiter, he comes back over and he says, I forgot to tell you something. Somebody in the restaurant has already paid for your entire dinner. What would you do at that moment? You'd say, bring me back that menu. Let me have that menu once again. Because if it's already paid for, I want to get everything I can out of this opportunity. In fact, if you've ever paid for somebody's dinner and they didn't eat the dinner, it's mildly offensive to you, is it not? Church, you have a table that's been prepared for you and paid for. Come to the table and eat. Come to the table and enjoy what God has done for you. So David is standing here at the table, or he's seated at the table, and he's just eating, and he just can't believe that all this stuff is here for him. And as he's eating, all of a sudden the, the king <laughs> that's seated at the head of the table, he gets up, and he comes over, and he puts his hands on your shoulders, and he says, this is my beloved child, everybody in whom I am well pleased. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over in the middle of all the idiots and all the people that don't like me. And at that moment, David says, Golly, surely, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So you know what? I'm going to make a decision that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, to think when we first started this journey that he had to make me to lie down. But at the end of my life, why would I ever leave this place? What a joy it is. What a life it is to be lived for the glory of God. And to have him shower his love and his life over me. See, see that, that's the essence of where we are, church. Many of you in this room, you've been, you've been studying, you've been challenged, you've been thinking about things of the past. Hurts and wounds and things that have happened to you, discouragements. And you're like, I just don't really know if I have the energy to go forward again. God says, let me restore you today. 
Maybe you're here and it's like, I've been, I've been kind of on autopilot for a while. And God says, it's time for you to come into the table. Whatever it is in your life, God's saying at this moment, come on, just trust me. Just take a step of faith and trust me with that marriage. Trust me with that child. Trust me with that situation. Trust me with what you've been holding on to. Come to the table and let me love on you. But see, to do that, you have to trust him. You have to trust that he is a good God and that he has good things for you. Can you trust him? How, 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 how does God view you? How valuable are you to God, right? Well, value. We were talking to someone here earlier about the value of their house. How much is your house worth, right? It's worth whatever somebody's willing to write a check and give, give you. Would you agree? It's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay. You want to you sell your car? You want to sell your truck? How much is it worth? Well, it's worth whatever someone's willing to pay, right? So what's the value that you have on your life? Whatever someone's willing to pay. I don't, I don't know how many years ago it was when Mark McGuire hit his 70th home run or whatever it was. It was a baseball. You can buy them at Walmart for five bucks. But after he hit it, it goes out of the ballpark into the hot dog stand where some guy holding the hot dog catches it. He ends up selling that baseball for like $1.3 or $1.4 million because that's how much that baseball was worth to somebody. What is your value? It's whatever someone is willing to pay, right? What did God pay to have you and his family? How valuable are you? What did he pay? He gave it all. You are so precious. You are so valuable to him. He has things that he wants to do in your life that you can't even imagine, church. I'll end with this story to help bring the illustration home. You may have heard this before, but uh, years ago, the king of Saudi Arabia invited Arnold Palmer to come over and play golf with him and some of his subjects, some of the people in his palace. And Mr. Palmer accepted the invitation. The king sent his jet, flew Mr. Palmer over. They played golf for three, three days, and it was just a great time for the king and for everyone to be around Arnold Palmer in the golf course. So he gave lessons, and it was fun. Time came for him to go home, and the king says, Mr. Palmer, I want to say thank you for all that you did. I'd like to give you a gift. And, of course, Mr. Palmer's like, you, you've treated me like royalty since I've been here. No, I don't, I don't need a gift at all. And the king says, no, I really need to be able to show you how much I appreciate what you've done. And so Mr. Palmer sees that he's not going to really let up. And so he just says, well, give me a golf club. That, that would be fine with me. And the king says, done. The king takes his jet, flies Mr. Palmer home. And he's, he's at home, but he's kind of wondering, you know, what's this golf club going to look like? I mean, it's coming from the king of Saudi Arabia, right? So what, what would it look like to you? I mean, maybe the, the head is going to be gold, right? Or the shaft is going to be gold and will have the king's signia or maybe... I don't know, my name in it. You know it's going to be big, right? So six weeks go by and nothing. After eight weeks, he gets a letter in the mail, a certified letter from the king of Saudi Arabia, and he opens it up, and it's a deed of ownership to a golf club. Eighteen holes, clubhouse, swimming pool. 
because kings don't think like we think. God doesn't think the way we think. Now to him who is able, come on now, to do exceedingly and abundantly far beyond what you could ever ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. But the last piece of that scripture is the most important piece. He says, now to him who is able, to God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly far beyond what you could ever ask or think, but it's according to the power of him working in our life. Let's all stand if you would. Just for a moment, bow your heads and close your eyes. When, when, I, when I feel that, that God's challenging you, which I feel that in my heart right now, there's a challenge that's been set out before you. That challenge is personal. The Holy Spirit is illuminating something in your heart that God wants to do in your life at this moment. Maybe it's your, your marriage together going to another step with the Lord. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your, your children, whatever it is, there's a next step that needs to happen in a situation in your life. And right now, just where we are, you can do something just as simple as put your hands in front of you. And whatever that is, when you open up your hands, you're saying, God, I give this to you. I release and I give this to you. Whatever it is, I'm asking you in your heart right now to do business with God, whatever that would be. Lord, I just thank you for this message. God, I thank you for the people that are here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come right now and you would just illuminate the rooms and the areas and the places that you are ministering in the hearts of the people. Give them the strength and the encouragement to release it to your glory. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord.